Welcome to episode 121 of the Farm Exec Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Meg Rivers, the new editor-in-chief of Farm Exec Magazine and your podcast host. Here with me is my co-host, Miranda Schmalfus, group social media editor. On this episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Natalie Dompe, co-CEO of Dompe Holdings. Natalie talks about her leadership style, the differences in working in leadership in the U.S. versus Europe, and the technologies in the biopharma industry. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with Natalie. Hey there, Andy Studna, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Hello, listeners. As previously mentioned, Meg and I will be interviewing Natalie Dompe, co-CEO of Dompe Holdings. Thanks for joining us today, Natalie. Thank you guys for having me. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Did you always see yourself working in the pharma industry? I guess it's a mix of personal experiences. When I was very young, I was 11 years old, I broke my back and that did change my life and the quality of my life immediately after and then even now. But I was exposed to hospitals. I was exposed to a different kind of journey. And that journey made me see uh, the world through different lenses. Also of other kids in similar conditions that were not as lucky as I was. I was very well supported. I was very, very lucky. Even now I need to take care of myself specifically for, for the, that accident. I have a relatively normal life uh, with few limitations. I know that's not always the case, and it took a very long time. I was uh, in forced paralysis for a period of time, and then it took a year before I started walking again and so on. And those experiences expose you to a lot of medicine, and they make you think a lot about what progress means for every single individual and how different stories can have different outcomes. And then I think I breathe the uh, energy about pharmaceuticals growing up. And I remember some specific conversations, little bits and pieces of, of uh, interactions with incredible people that helped form passion for it. I remember Gordon Binder, who at the time was the CEO of this relatively small company that then became Amgen and uh, Jim Vincent, uh, who at the time was the CEO of a relatively small company, which then became Biogen. And now they're huge companies and the interaction with them helped to define the journey of our business as well, not just their personal paths. And we had joint ventures with both Amgen and Biogen in, in Italy. And that gave us an amount of know-how that then we were able to translate in a 20-year journey in who we are today. And besides that, I was very lucky to have the opportunity to meet uh, Nobel Prize winner Rita Levi-Montalcini and Nobel Prize winner Carrie Mullis. And having that exposure definitely helped me define what I wanted more than what, who I wanted to become, what I wanted to touch, what I wanted to be, to be around. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, uh, you know, because you had the exposure essentially to like the healthcare industry so young, and I'm very sorry for what happened, but what made you kind of go towards the pharma side of things as compared to the healthcare side of things? That's an excellent question. 
I think I wanted to be on the healthcare of, of things for a very long time. And then I was probably, I was not well led in a world where you didn't have all the infrastructure that you have today that help kids decide what they're going to do at university. And they have all this exposure to universities, classes, and so on. And I come from a system that is different from the American system that allows you to put ingredients together. And so it was about doing business or going very vertically in, into a healthcare environment where you had to study medicine. And so I thought at that point, I did want to have a different kind of approach. And so I went more on the business approach, but that was more by chance because I still remain like a missed doctor. I feel it inside when my children are sick or whatever. I always feel like, eh, I should have studied medicine. That was my call. So I, I don't know if I still, I have to answer you today. My answer is still honestly like, I am uh, I'm challenged inside whether the right direction was one or the other study-wise. But then work-wise, I had no doubt that this was the right approach. But then you discover it by doing it. I would have never known unless I had started somewhere. And I mean, just me as a human and my perspective of the world, I feel like you can still shift gears, right? If you're like, I'm passionate about pharma now and you decide to do other things later, you just never know where the future will take you. Completely agree. I did want to clarify for our listeners, you had mentioned like things being different in the U.S. versus where you're based. Where were you based growing up and where are you based now? I was based in Milan. I grew up in Italy and I am now based in the United States uh, uh, in the Bay Area. Awesome. Awesome. So let's shift to talking about your company. When was it founded and what do you specialize in? Dompe Pharmaceutici is a privately owned company that was founded in 1940. But in reality, it, it was a compounding pharmacy since 1890, so far before that. And we developed its foundations from a compounding family to an international company that straddles primary care and biopharmaceuticals. We are 800 people worldwide, and we are based in Milan, where our headquarters are in Italy, but also in US, in San Matteo, in Boston, and in L'Aquila, which is in the heart of Italy, where all our production is manufactured before being distributed globally. We focus on three major pillars. One is nerve growth factor. Nerve growth factor is what we were able to transform into a breakthrough treatment. And nerve growth factor was discovered by Professor Rita Levi Montalcini. And we were the first company to be able to successfully translate that discovery into a treatment for topical use of a rare degenerative eye disease called neurotrophic keratitis. And NGF is a platform where we are discovering. Uh, and we are investing in research of that range, in a wide variety of uh, things that range from uh, other ophthalmology problems like ocular macular pucker to different unmet medical needs uh, that involve in even the central nervous system. And that is the one of the core pillars of our company. Another one is netosis, uh, where we have a research program that focuses on developing uh, drugs that can inhibit Netosis, which is a phenomenon underlining many severe and high need diseases such as um, ARDS, type 1, uh, early onset, and insulin-resistant diabetes. And for anyone who has never heard of netosis, it's a process carried out by neurotrophils, which is um, the most abundant kind of white blood cell. 
and it's in response to inflammation. And uh, it, it, it is part of our normal inflammatory reaction, uh, but sometimes uh, it's not properly regulated. And uh, this system, this natosis, uh, these neurotrophils act like an extracellular trap, uh, can lead uh, to local or systemic damage. And this is the case in some conditions, for example, cancer or autoimmune disease or uh, certain uh, uh, thromboembolic diseases. And it was the case, for example, even of COVID-19. And then the third pillar is Excalate, which is an artificial intelligence and high-performing computing supported program that we use to expedite the identification of potential medical solutions always in in areas uh, with high medical need. And in this case, we go from ophthalmology to immunology to viral infection and uh, and so on. So this is this is who we are today. And this is where our research is concentrated. Along that, we have our primary care business uh, that has been uh, the core part of the company in the last uh, few decades. And that is the actual part that allowed us to focus on investing um, on research and rare disease until we got uh, the first uh, breakthrough treatment approved in the United States in 2018 based on NGF. So definitely a lot of moving parts in your company and definitely strong leadership is needed for all of those moving parts. So what would you say is your leadership style? And I'm curious to know, have you always had the same leadership style? How has that changed throughout your career and impacted it? I believe in creative collaboration. So as I have an incredible team of people around, and as I learn, I do like to change. I try to learn everything that I can from the assets that I have around and the people who inspire me on a daily basis. And I try to evolve and iterate constantly. And I try to, like that, the the style, uh, I'm not sure, is or will be established for a very long time. I hope it will never be still. I hope it will always be evolving, trying to understand better the needs of the team and the medical needs of the world so that I can continuously adapt to what is necessary. In the company, we sometimes uh, uh, say like to change by need, not precedent. And I am focused, especially when thinking about how to lead and in what direction to go. I have a focus on the intersection of medicine and technology to try to answer to a patient's condition. And I I think that in the future, it might not be solely by the traditional medicine approach that we know today. And I think about AI companies that can, there, there was one in which we invested, for example, that acts as a computer that understands by how you move your skeletal muscle situation so that you can prevent injury. You can have programs that rehabilitate you. There, there are many ways in which artificial intelligence is now working with more traditional med- medicine to change the patient's journey. But in more extended ways, I think there is a lot of unexpressed value in what technology can do when applied to medicine. And two of my areas of interest are also how we can lower the cost for discovery and how we can lower those barriers and make it a much more inclusive business area and also how we can lower the time to therapy. So I think these three areas much guide 
where uh, I think the future of medicine will go. And definitely it dictates a little bit how I'm going to try to change my style or be more aware, listen more in those directions. One thing I did want to ask you was regarding leadership style, essentially, but you are a woman who is working in a, like a very male dominated industry. Have you had to modify your leadership style at all to accommodate that? I think that before being a woman, I'm a young executive. So right now I feel I'm still in a phase where rather than answering this question in a way where I know what I'm saying, I am still in a phase where the most important quality that I have is that of observing and learning. I can observe and learn by many different professionals that surround us. We have a lot of women who dominate the managerial team in our business. And I'm learning from every single person actually around us. I'm trying to absorb all the knowledge that experience gives you. And at the same time, to be responsive to the needs of the company. And so far, I think it's a, it's been such an overwhelming journey of learning and understanding and moving quick and moving fast that I don't have much. I haven't observed enough uh, to, to answer those questions, except that for sure, being a woman in in uh, in business in general in any kind of business it's it's still complicated things when you have kids when you have families and when you decide to start a family i think we all everybody who's gone through that will have felt some of the same emotions and some of the same overwhelming feelings yeah absolutely as a parent i think it's tough to be like, you want to give a hundred percent to your, your family and then like a hundred percent to work. So it is a, a balancing act. I don't know if you've experienced something similar. Yes. I am in the phase where most of the mornings I wonder to myself, like, where am I exactly? <laughs> what do I have to do? Oh, oh yes. Yes. Um, yes. It's, it is. Or I have a one-year-old. She turned one yesterday. So I'm a three-year-old and then I have three stepchildren who are 13, 11, and nine, 10 nearly. So it, it is a journey and uh, it's, uh, it's rocky. I think it'll be a lot better when my younger one starts going to school. It'll feel like a little bit more relaxed and having to bridge the time difference between Europe and US uh, being on the West Coast is another hurdle just because we were looking at you. So uh, I'm still in the phase where I'm working out on details. Ah, that's a fair point, like bringing kiddos to school <laughs> on the West Coast, which is very different times than the East Coast. Okay, so another question I did want to ask you was with regards to earlier, you had said that your company works in Italy as well as the United States. So what are some of the unique challenges for working in each country and any cultural challenges? You know, bridging to culture requires, once again, listening and understanding how each culture or each person thinks and communicates. Uh, and what I have noticed is that Americans tend to be very direct and pragmatic, whereas Europeans, particularly Italians, I cannot stress it more, can sometimes have similar ideas, but couched in a great deal of romance and poetry and adjectives and then more adjectives uh, and so on. Like at the end of the day, cultures are not that distant, talking about US and, and a European Italian culture. 
but it took me a lot of time slamming down the adjectives. And it's, I felt it was a little bit like going from Dante to E. Cummings, if you know what I mean. I'm giggling over the poetry part. I love that description. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, I I also think that there's always an opportunity to have different cultures. And I think we were able to get the best out of both cultures and both opportunities. Uh, But but yes, it is taking away some poetry, but adding some pragmatism. So I think overall, it's a win-win. So I know that you guys are working to launch a rare disease drug in the United States. What commercial or maybe sales and marketing challenges have you faced and what have you learned in the process? Well, I think the United States is an incredibly supportive uh, nation when they are in front of specific drugs or companies that really work on innovation and technology and invest in research. And proof is our treatment for neurotrophic keratitis, which obtained breakthrough status and FASTAC approval both from EMEA, the European Medicine Agency, and uh, from FDA. One of the biggest challenges was that when we started to properly commercialize the product after a soft launch 2018, uh, in 2019, there was you know, the pandemic soon hit soon after the beginning. And that meant that we had to work a lot harder to connect with healthcare professionals so that they had the information they needed to be able to appropriately determine which of their patients would benefit the most from this breakthrough therapy and uh, to understand how it worked and to understand uh, how to apply it and so on. And I I think what what it meant was that we really had to lean into uh, technology to enable those physicians to have access to the education to the one-to-one dialogues with a scientist who could best explain it and they could look have in their hand the clinical data so that they would feel confident uh, on the clinical decision-making. And for sure, that was one of the biggest challenges that we had to, to quickly transfer those capabilities to uh, technology on technology. And I think our team did an incredible job in being very, very quick to identify the opportunities and, and change uh, according to the challenges that we were facing, which were important. From a commercialization and like higher level sort of standpoint, was there any particular reason that your company chose specifically to work in Italy and the United States with the treatments that you're currently pursuing? As I said, I think the United States was the most important nation for us because of the way that, well, the, we had been working and networking with all the centers of excellence, both in Europe and in US. And we wanted to continue to build on the network of excellences and the network of ideas that we had been working on and the way that research is appreciated and enabled through these mechanisms of regulatory agencies, such as breakthrough and fast tracks and orphan drug designation and all these ways that these two systems specifically have to boost innovation and to really support drugs that can change the paradigm, which is what I feel we were able to do with neurotrophic keratitis. Great. Thank you for sharing. So also about the commercialization phase, I'm curious, how does launching a rare disease drug differ from say other drugs? I don't know whether it's a small molecule, large molecule. And again, as it relates to the commercialization phase. I think it all connects to, well, my personal experience has been on this. And I think that 
creating this paradigm shift to potentially radically change the clinical practice. In our case, we were able to go from a chronic condition to redefine neurotrophic keratitis to more of an acute condition and to completely reshape the prognosis for patients in this case i think it's really it, it it is completely different from like a small molecule where you're dealing with a category where you have a lot of competition and there's a large patient population and i think that the goal there is to drive awareness and create preferences based on subtle scientific reasons and clinical differences in our case, I think when there is like a new and groundbreaking science, then the goal is more education. Then what you're trying to do is you're in a space where there's no other medical treatment and where you are with your treatment, you're completely redefining a condition. And so in that case, the objective is really to, to put physicians in the condition to understand the science and select the right kind of patients and to offer the drug in the right conditions with the right knowledge, with the right access and the right support from a medical standpoint and having access to clinical data and getting to learn this new technologies is the goal. So we did get into this a little bit earlier, but what are your thoughts on technologies in the biopharma industry and how can the industry best meet the needs of patients and health systems? I'm a big believer in all the work that can be done uh, digitalizing a lot of the processes uh, that we have today and using technology from AI to robotics to make key changes. Um, and so very, very simply, I think that there's an incredible opportunity of the intersection of medicine and technology. I think that it is very important to continue to work on centers of excellence. I think that networking will be one of the most important opportunities and those opportunities will lead to more of open source learning. We've seen Google doing with AlphaFold. We're seeing more and more of these tools that will be at a certain point public and more and more people will be able to use them. And those people will accelerate the access to learning and the access to science more and more so and in such ways to create networks and co and working with centers of excellence will become more and more important. And I look at a future that will personalize medicines as well. Personalized medicine will mean that it'll be catered for you, it'll be catered for me, and we are not necessarily the same person. And that will mean that each of us will have a different uh, journey, a completely different experience, and hopefully uh, we will be able to have better quality of lives. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so interesting learning about your leadership style, the company, and you know how you tackle different challenges that you face on and off the job. Thank you. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip. Hello, my name is Natalie Dompe and I'm co-CEO of Dompe Pharmaceutici. One of the best tips I've ever heard comes from Rita Levi-Montalcini. Meglio aggiungere vita ai giorni che non giorni alla vita. It is better to add life to days than days to life. And what it means is to add passion to every single day that we have. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at PharmExec.com, on Twitter at PharmExec, on Instagram at PharmExecutive, and on YouTube. 
Reviews expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial concerns, please email our editor-in-chief, Meg Rivers, at mrivers at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.